Hey friend, really excited for this Portfolio Career Podcast episode with Connor McCarthy. So special story on how this podcast happened. Connor emailed me from my website, PortfolioCareerPodcast.com, a little bit ago. He was interested in learning about the podcast from Dublin, Ireland. I was blown away. We then began emailing about work, projects, sharing ideas, and I really wanted to learn more. So here we are. Such an honor to have Connor on the podcast. So if you're listening and want to chat, email me. Would love to hear from you. Connor has such a diverse background as a software engineer and then got the idea for a new festival project. Street Performance World Championships, one of Ireland's biggest festivals with over 200,000 people attending. Connor talks about the journey of this project and how it became to be one of Ireland's biggest festivals. We talk about human reinvention and how momentum is so important during change, any type of momentum. And Connor talks about some really interesting experiences that he had. He also had a transformational experience with the Alt-MBA in 2016, the leadership and management workshop created by Seth Godin, similar to the podcast fellowship program that I was in this summer. He is now honored to be a coach in the Alt-MBA in addition to his private client coaching practice in Ireland. Also, he's currently working on a new company called Empathy Test with a couple other co-founders. The company is centered around helping businesses with their products and services better understand human behavior to the product and service based upon human behavior. Fascinating. We talk about key skills to build and grow your portfolio career. And as always, let me know what you think. Cool. Welcome to Portfolio Career Podcast. Your host, David Nabinski, is here with Connor McCarthy. I had one question as it might be a little bit hard because you're in Ireland and I'm here in New York, but if we were to go to an event tonight together, how do you typically introduce yourself? Oh, um, so it depends. If I went to an event here in Dublin, it depends what kind of event, because like uh, many guests on your portfolio career podcast, um, I've got a few different business cards, you might say. So right now I would say I am a coach. I coach on Seth Godin's Alt MBA program, and I also do my own um, kind of private coaching on the side of that and group coaching. Um, if I went to an event that was in the festivals and events industry, I would say that I I started one of the biggest outdoor family festivals in Ireland. It was, it was called the Street Performance World Championship, and now it's called City Spectacular. Um, and if I went to a tech event, event I would say that I would say I'm a software engineer and then I would correct myself and say I'm a former software engineer because that feels like a long time ago. But uh, I think the the mentalities and the, the mindset never really go away. So, yeah, that's a, that's a few of them. Anyway. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so how did you kind of you said you started as a little bit more as a software engineer and then and then you started the, the festival Maybe can you describe a little bit about that journey in terms of you were a software engineer and then you started one of the largest festivals. You know, how did you kind of, it's a really, it seems like a big transition. I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Mm, it, was, it was a very big transition. So to go back even a little bit further, I was, um, I was, when I was applying for college, I was torn between doing computer science and film production. And I really, I, like, I just I really didn't know which one 
I wanted to do. So, you know, I chatted with my parents and kind of did the sensible thing and, and did computer science because it seemed more um, stable and solid. And this was 97. So this is pre a lot of stuff. Um, in college, I actually spent more time in the drama department, believe it or not. But I got, I got a good degree. You know, I, I was definitely a software engineer by the end of it. Um, I did a master's in, in IT and music education and then went on to do some real, like, proper software engineering in, in, in a startup. It was in that time, and this is a bit of a segue, and, but I hope some people can gel with this idea. In that time, I went to my first ever practical philosophy class. Now, I only bring this up because it was actually one of the defining moments of my life of transitions, you might say. Um, I, I had been head down software engineering my days away, and I did love it. I loved the problem solving. I loved the, the teamwork and just figuring it all out um, and building things. But what philosophy did was it kind of made me lift my head up and look out into the world to realize that there was a lot more facets to this life than I had ever thought were possible, and uh, both within myself and both within the world around me. So I just got into the world of philosophy in a big way. And somewhere in there, somewhere in there in having my mind expanded in these ways, I was in, in Dublin city center with my, the, the, my business partner who I set up the festival with, and we were watching a street show uh, and it was an amazing street show. Um, we, just blown away. We stayed. We watched it twice. We were amazed at how much the audience were, were loving it and how much money they were giving into the hat because it's street performance, so you, you pay into the hat. And we just got really charged up and, and we left and the next day we met up and we were still talking about these amazing street performers. A week later, still talking about it. And we started to say, like, why why are there lots of buskers and that kind of thing? Why, are, why aren't there many big street acts? Or why isn't there a festival for big street acts? And of course, we Googled it and the talent that's out there, both in um, corporate entertainment and street entertainment, is amazing. So we kind of took it on ourselves to do something about it. It was, uh, it was maybe a moment of madness. I mean, we were we were twenty four to five. Um, Ireland was in the middle of the Celtic Tiger, so jobs were kind of easy to come by. So we felt like we had a bit of a cushion. But we still, I mean, we we started working, and for two years it was we didn't make a penny. It was real seat of the pants kind of stuff. Um, but we made it happen. We, we got 26,000 people down to the very first event. And that was a huge kickoff for us um, on the festival scene. And it's, it's been growing since now. It's about 220,000 people go to the, the two festivals in Dublin and Cork. Um, but there was, I mean, up until that moment of, oh, it works. It was, it was, it was risky and it was weird, but we, we were in it. Like we were, we were definitely committed and we wanted to, to see it work. So, um, yeah, I think my my philosophy story in there might have been a stepping stone to festival festival life. Mm, that's incredible. So twenty thousand, and then to two hundred thousand plus. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I've only seen some of the videos and photos online, and hope to attend one time soon. Do absolutely, and we, we so one of the things we did to grow our I suppose to grow our our presence was to throw world records. So we hold a few world records. Some kind of weird ones. We have one of the most amount of swords being swallowed at one time. It's a strange one. We also dress the most amount of people as Where's Waldo. So yeah, some you'll find some interesting stuff on, on the internet about us. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so with philosophy, is that because on your website you talk about a lot of your work or at least your thinking is related to human reinvention. And to me, it seems there's a lot 
related to that with kind of like a portfolio mindset. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about, in your words, this this your life has been a little bit around human reinvention. Yeah. So, I mean, this wasn't this wasn't something I really planned to do. But when I when I started discovering how flexible life could be through philosophy, I kind of started to play around a little bit, you might say. I started to not think, take things too seriously because philosophy gave me this new kind of framework to think about the world. And it's not like a written list of 10, 10 ways to think about the world. It's just, uh, so it was a mindset that just sunk in. You know, when I, when I left the festival after about seven years of working on it, um, myself and my business partner stepped away and we handed it off to our amazing producers who run it now. And I, I fell into this really kind of down and depressed place because I had nothing to channel all my curiosity into. I had basically given away my job and I didn't know what to do with myself. And I, I found in, the, in that moment that I wasn't reinventing myself. I was, I was wallowing and I wasn't moving forward. I wasn't moving the needle for myself. Um, and the day came when I realized I, I need to start reinventing myself in some way. And, you know, I, I don't, that to sound like I needed to build something huge. I realized back then that all I needed to do was to do something, to do anything. So after the festival, I mean, it's kind of my unofficial biography, but I, I became a bicycle mechanic. Uh, and I also started teaching English. I, I got a, an English language teaching qualification. Um, and both those things were, were volunteer roles. But, and I knew going into those that it was just momentum that I was looking for, that the reinvention would happen, but that it, I needed to put myself on some kind of track to get myself back on track, if that makes sense. And it was those two things that eventually led me to things like the Alt MBA and the consultancy and the coaching that I do now. So reinvention for me is something I've lived through. I, it's, it's, a lovely, it's, it's a lovely word in one respect because it's, it sounds, it paints a picture of you know, fresh meadows and clear skies and, and new thinking. But often reinvention comes with you know, dark nights and moments of panic and moments of doubt. And you know, I, I, I really, whenever I read something about the greatest things coming from places of being uncomfortable, I really understand and I can empathize with those things. Hmm. So when you're going through a reinvention, let's say like a career transition or assessing a new project or, or when you're talking to prospective um, client about, you know, something that they're thinking about, but they don't really know what's going to happen. Do you, do you have a certain framework to kind of model some scenarios that could happen to get a little bit more comfortable with, you know, uh, with what's next? There, there's some very kind of straightforward ways that, that I can help people describe their ideal future. And it's a bit of a classic of coaching, but it's actually really useful because I find what tends to happen is that people might have a, an idea about where they want to go and what that might look like. But when you start to put flesh around that and put some clothes on it, what does it really look like? So getting specific about that future, about that, that goal and that change you want to make is really powerful, even to the point of, you know, close your eyes and describe it. Describe a day in the life of, of when you reach this goal. And, you know, there is, there is always, there's always an aspect of this that says that goal will change because goals are tricky. I think systems are a powerful, powerful tool to use 
in in reaching whatever you wherever you need to go. But goals can be ephemeral. So while I am into goal setting, I'm also a big fan of helping people set up systems where they can move towards that goal. Okay, okay. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about your work with the Alt MBA and and some of some other Saskatoon's work. What drove you to sign up for the first Alt MBA program that you went into? So, like a lot of people, I was I was following Seth for for years. I'd heard about Alt MBA, and I immediately went. That's obviously for very high high impact, impressive CEO, world changing, world beating kind of people. And forgot about it. And then I heard about it again. Didn't think about it. And then I heard him on Tim Ferriss's podcast. I said, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm going to check it out because I think a couple of people have been through it, and he must have said something in there where I kind of went, oh, maybe this is for people like me, quote unquote. So I went and I, with with my heart full of imposter syndrome, I applied, and um, and then they said, oh, off you a place, and then my head got full of imposter syndrome, and I kind of went, no, they've they've made a big mistake, who uh, you know they must have clicked the wrong checkbox. This is this they made a very big mistake here. Um, and it was actually my wife who said, "Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You have, you have to do it. This is this guy is a, you know, he's a, an unofficial mentor of yours. Um, so go for it." So, yeah, I remember, I remember the the day that I said, "Yep, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this." And yeah, it, it talk about a moment in time. I, I definitely have a pre alt MBA life and a post alt MBA life in terms of uh, how I see myself and how I see the world. So that for me, you know, earlier I talked about philosophy being a kind of a stepping stone into into new new beginnings um, and reinvention for me. I would say Alt MBA was a, had a similar effect on my life. Mm. And and how do you see yourself post Alt MBA? A an analogy that I often used that I often do use still um, is that my life before Alt MBA felt a little bit like watching a movie on the back of an airplane seat you know, a really good movie, but it's on this tiny screen and it's very much 2D. Whereas after Alt MBA, you see things in a little bit more like they're in IMAX. You see nuance, you see the big picture on things. You're able to really understand what it means to have empathy for someone. You know, you, you feel comfortable thinking about worldviews and discussing worldviews. You get comfortable thinking with people, which is I'm I'm not sure if it's fair to say this, but um, it's easy to kind of to hide behind a laptop and to do a lot of work yourself in a in a bit of a bubble. But I really believe that the 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 power that the internet gives us is that we can connect and we can communicate with each other, and that's when real reinvention comes. Is when we we bring our gifts out to the world and then we get the gifts back when we work together. So yeah, the, like Alt MBA is. It's you know it's all about it's all about leadership it's all about possibility, but all that starts with leadership of yourself and recognizing the possibility that's within yourself. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean the the uh, that work and the internet is bringing us together, right? You know, um, it's amazing. Yeah. Totally. And and another thing that I'm really curious about is. You, you, you've mentioned that you think that the world and, and work is moving to more projects. Are you seeing that in Ireland or is that, uh, or is there another framework behind or mindset behind uh, that view? 
Um, I, I always laugh when I hear the word projects, to be honest, because when, when I when I started the festival, my mum didn't really believe that I had a real business going. So she always referred to it as my as my quote unquote project. So for honestly, for about the first 10 years, she'd say to me, How, how's your uh, how's your project going? Like it was a school project or something. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was only very recently that she realized, oh, this is, a, this is a real thing, even though she came to it and she's seen the hundreds of thousands of people that go to it. So, yeah, in Ireland, it's Ireland is just like a, a microcosm of everywhere else, really. Yeah, it's definitely project based work is everywhere. And um, even even in the, the fact that all these um, co-work spaces are cropping up, um, a lot of them like Dublin has. Is, is a big center for a lot of the big US tech firms. And alongside that, it's kind of the, you know, whereas they're the, the behemoths in the forest, there's a, there's a lot more people kind of closer to the ground doing their own thing. So I interact a lot with startups, with entrepreneurs, people in, the, in, in tech, um, that kind of thing. And everywhere I look, it's, yeah, people, people doing projects, people who two years ago did something else, people who in six months want to be doing something else. It's very fluid. It's very much, you know, skill skills training, even skills training looks kind of different to where I think people are moving more towards something that the Alt MBA actually does quite well, and that's improving mindset. You know, instead of going going deep on one subject, you you pick up enough that you can move and you can act on it and you can interact with others in some kind of a, a meaningful and knowledgeable way. But I think it's it's kind of learning that skill of of forward momentum, moving fast and and working well uh, in a group. Mm. You've, you've mentioned momentum a couple of times, Connor. Is that if somebody is kind of stuck or needs a little bit of momentum, what are some ways that you help get them going? There's there's so many ways to say, you know, the journey of a, of a, of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And it's it's such, it's a cliche because it's true. And one really powerful way that I that I use when I when I coach with people is literally to write down the smallest thing you can do next. And I find that useful even for myself. Like some days, if I'm if I just floss my teeth, I'm like, this is a great day, you know. So I, I recognize the power of a tiny step. When you have a big, big hairy audacious goal sitting in front of you, it's almost impossible, and you feel like you're never going to get there. But if you can start a system where little by little, drip by drip, you can make progress on it, it's, it's really powerful. And then you, get to, then you get to look back and see how far you've come instead of how far you still have to go. The how far you still have to go is really scary. It's a huge big pit in front of you. And you can barely see the far side. Whereas if you look back, you can kind of go, well, three months ago, I, I didn't know that or I didn't have that, let alone six months ago, I didn't know I wanted to do that. So I am always a huge, huge fan of what can you do right now to move yourself forward? Mm. Okay. And, and another project that you're working on right now is is the empathy test. I'd love to learn a little bit more about that that project or, and that work as well. <laughs> yeah. So empathy test is um, is a startup that myself and two friends have. It's basically the psychological validation of new business ideas, which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, essentially, it, it looks at, it takes a product or a service and figures out if that product or service sits in the mind of the consumer in the way you think it does. 
So some people build a business on a hunch. They kind of go, here's the new widget. I think it's going to work because of this. And a lot of those businesses fail. Some people take the next step and they, they go out onto the street and they start asking strangers, you know, I've built this widget. What do you think? People say, I like this. I don't like that. Or I hate it. Or I love it. And, you know, some people pivot. Some people, like, do away with it altogether and start afresh. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. What we're trying to do is, 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 is figure out ways at step one that we can harness the psychological science of the last hundred years into your idea to very quickly figure out how does the consumer think about this product? Like where does it, it's like space docking. How does this clip into their mind? So it's not even, you know, it's not a marketing thing. It's not a branding thing. You know, is it, is it a purple cow thing? Maybe, but it's very much, you know, it, it goes deep into things like cognitive biases and, and, and that whole world. And it's, it's fascinating stuff. I, ha- I should hold my hand up and say that I'm, I'm not the one with the deep science. I'm working with two PhDs on it. So I'm, I'm bringing more of the, uh, I suppose, the, the alt MBA traits with me. But uh, every time, every time I, I have a conversation with someone who has a product or a service, this is what I really want to tell them about. I really want to bring to them and kind of say, have you thought of these things? Mm. And, and can you give an example of one of those, those questions or, um, or exercises? Um, yeah, so, um, you know, the, the, I, I hope this doesn't go too, too deep into it, but there's a, there was an app we were working with, and I won't give any names. It was this, one of these um, sleep training apps. You know, it would kind of monitor your sleep and help you figure out how to sleep better and what hours to go to sleep and that kind of thing. And met the guys, and they had developed it. You know, they'd made the app. They'd done a bunch of testing and stuff, but and it was working, but they didn't know why the bits that were working were working and why the bits that they thought would work wouldn't work. And they, they didn't have the budget, basically, to, to look at, well, you know, what is sleep to the human? There's the, you know, there's the surface level. We all need sleep. We need, some of us need more sleep and less sleep. But there is actually psychological science behind morning people and evening people. And that alone is a huge thing to understand. So if you're, if you're trying to develop an app and you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, yeah, everyone's going to want this, that's probably not true straight away. That, like, if, if, you, can, if you can dig into the science a little bit more about the, the kind of characteristics of the quote-unquote morning person, I forget the psychological term for it, you can immediately, like, you could scrap or you could build certain parts of, of your app and of your experience just around that. Um, and for and in a very short amount of time, change the nature of what you're offering. That's amazing, and 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 you mostly work with Ireland-based companies with this. Um, no, we we've got we've got a couple of labs. So one of one of the things that we we have on offer is um, one of one of the PhDs I work with. His name is Richie. He is a neuroscientist, and so he has spent a lot of time in EEG labs where basically they attach electrodes to your head and measure your brain waves. Now, the, the kind of one end of what we offer with Empathy Test is to actually put electrodes on people's heads and have them use your product and service and see what happens. Um, it's something that a lot of the big brands have actually done. You know, I think there was a, there was a story years ago when Coca-Cola did this with some of their consumers. You know, they, they had them, I think it was they introduced a can into their hand while they were where while they were measuring their brainwaves 
and they thought, oh, you know, their 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 pleasure uh, sensations are going to light up in their brain, and that this area is going to be activated. And they were about half right. What they what they found was that people's um, centers of memory were triggered more than anything else. So people were recalling something more than they were going, yay, Coke, you know, more than their taste buds were lighting up, let's say. So it was the, it was the power of that, like, what are people remembering? Is it, is it seeing the brand so often? It was, is it the first Coke they ever had? It led, it led Coke down all these new, new routes to understanding, like, what, wh- where does Coke sit in the mind of the consumer? Now, that's, look, that's a big, big, big brand. But it's interesting, you know, in, in Ireland, there there are, I mean, it's still, internationally, Ireland is still, a, I suppose, a small fish just by dint of the population. But no, we, we work with people all over the world. and We actually have those labs, those EEG labs uh, in three cities now. We have access to three cities, yeah. Amazing, amazing. I was thinking about with the, the Coca-Cola example, it's a little bit, little bit more scientific than uh, your typical taste test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, the, the last thing we, if, if you're talking to us as empathy test, the last thing you want to hear is um, we did a focus group. The last thing we want to hear is we did a focus group on X, Y, Z, because I think by now everyone knows that focus groups are, are terribly biased and are probably the worst way to, um, to test anything. So we're kind of looking at, you know, this, the, the stuff that the, the white papers and the books and the, the deep academic science that is so rigorously tested over the last 50, 60, 70 years and applying that to the, the, to the modern slew of, of um, innovations that have, that have come up in the last five, 10 years, even the last six months in some cases. Amazing. Hmm. Connor, I'm really curious. So if you know, you have, you know, a background in science and technology and then also leadership and um, creative development. Do you think that that type of bucket of skills is is really important for, you know, knowledge-based workers? Or what kind of advice would you have for people that are in college and, you know, are focused on, you know, one major, so to speak, uh, in terms of, you know, developing their career? I think a really important skill is the skill of being able to stick with something for long enough that you get some kind of, mastery is too strong a word, but some kind of familiarity with that. When I look back on my, my time in college, I mean, I, you know, I was technically minded, but I think having to spend four years focusing on that baked in this way of thinking, this way of, uh, it's the kind of software engineering mindset that I still use to this day. I was amazed at how much I kind of borrowed my software engineering skills when I started a festival. And I know that sounds really weird, but there was a huge overlap in terms of organization, problem solving. You know, there were so many things. So the, you know, what, whatever you're doing, spend, spend enough time where you feel like, okay, I've got that. And not, not like I could answer a multiple choice question on it, but maybe even go and write some, write some blog posts on it, you know, write some, write some articles and submit them on Medium and send them to some friends. You know, there's, there's no better way to test your own knowledge than, than by writing out what you think the issue is. So in, like the way, and I mean, your podcast is such a good example of this, you know, the way things are moving with regards to the world of work, you know, being a generalist is going to be great, but having the, the staying power and tenacity to understand enough that you can add value is going to be 
really important inside of that. Hmm. And is there certain buckets with as you know within inside the generalists that some like key skills that were mastery or you know high level proficiency could be really useful to you know companies to executives? Hmm. Yeah. I I have an ongoing list of of things I would like to learn. And and I think the top, I'd say the top three for me, one would be writing. So writing, because we all all write so much now, even though we live in the age of Skype and the phone and everything, we're still tapping on our phones and tapping on the laptops. So writing, but really within writing to ask yourself constantly, what is it for? What is this thing that I'm writing for? Is it to inform someone? You know, is it a very simple email to tell someone that something is happening? You know, am I writing to persuade someone? You know, maybe I'm writing a piece of sales copy for my website, you know, and, and thinking through, well, what do, I, what do I want that person to think or do at the end of reading this? Or maybe you're writing to inspire. Like maybe you want someone to read it and go, oh, I've got the chills. That's, you know, that's, that's me. Or, or you've, you've um, encouraged me to do something that I didn't think possible. So writing is, is going to be around for a while yet. Um, and I think that's a really important one. And alongside writing, I would say speaking. So, you know, speaking speaking our minds is still difficult. Um, like I was nervous getting on this call because to hear to hear yourself say the things you believe in is is um, is kind of a strange experience. You often have an inner dialogue where you think, well, who you know, I can I can say whatever I want to myself because no one's going to be listening to this. But then when you have to say it to the world, it's a different story. But in the same way that writing has a purpose, you know, you're speaking, your, your fluency also has a purpose. So getting, getting used to um, being on screen, being in front of an audience, and again, thinking, you know, what, what am I doing with this piece of speech? Is it, is it, to, is it to connect? Is it just to inform people that something's happening? Or am I looking you know, in, am I lo- really looking to, to inspire? I mean, like, you watch any TED Talk, and I imagine most of the TED Talks that are out there fall into the inspire bucket. Uh, and so that's, yeah, they're, they're two really important ones. The last one, the last thing I would learn, and this is, there, I'm pretty sure there isn't a course for this, so it might be tricky to, to Google, is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, and that's just, that's just one of those things that, you, you kind of have to live through it to understand what it looks like. Because when in, in the world of projects and in the world of creating your own work and being an artist in that sense, there will be moments where you're between things or when you're really far into something and you don't know what to do next or where to go. But being able to say to yourself, what I'm feeling now, this uncomfortableness is part of the work. And in many ways, it's the most important part of the work. Because if you say right then, I'm feeling uncomfortable, I'm just going to stop, then it's all over. But if you say to yourself, I'm feeling uncomfortable, it's probably because I care a lot about this. Then that gives you a kind of a refreshed perspective on it, where you can say, right, I care enough to do this. I care enough to be this uncomfortable. So what steps can I take to move things forward and not not dwell in this uh, discomfort? Mm. Lean into the fear. Lean into the fear and it's, you know, it's, I think that's something I, I say and I see and it's often hard to recognize when it happens to you, 
But when it does, it's almost a case of sit down and write, write out those words. How can I lean into this fear? And just let your mind go and see, see where it takes you. Because it is fear. It's scary. Turns out fear is scary. But there's always a way through. And no one, no one who ever did anything exciting or accomplished anything, you know, got through it the easy way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, Connor. I really, I really appreciate that. And if, um, if people wanted to support and follow up with you on about any of your projects, is what's the best way for, for people to do so, Connor? So LinkedIn is a great way to do it. If you just Google me, Google Connor McCarthy, Alt MBA. Um, I also have a website. That's my coaching website. It's connormccarthy.co. And just last week, I started a newsletter because I tend to be curious about so many things. I said I would share some of those things with, with the world. So my newsletter is called 3x5. And the address of that is 3x5.email. So yeah, there's, there's three different ways to get in touch with me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Khan. I really appreciate your time. And, and thanks for your interest and support in uh, my podcast and looking forward to what's next. Thank you so much, David. I love this podcast. Such a good idea. I'm kind of jealous. I wish I'd done it myself. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, Connor. Talk to you soon. Thanks. 